All the good quotes from this movie are far too messed up for me to make jokes about. We're talking about natural born killers today on Cinema Oblivia. Welcome to Cinema Oblivia, your podcast for movies about that are uh, under-discussed, underrepresented, out of date, out of touch, out of style, or otherwise forgotten. I'm your host, uh, James Eldred, and who do I have joining me for today's episode? My name is Kyle Shutt. It is so good to be here. Yeah, so good to have you, Kyle. Uh, why don't you tell people a bit about yourself, if you don't mind? Sure. Uh, I, I'm mostly known for playing the guitar in the band The Sword. Yeah. But uh, since then, I've, uh, I've I've also branched out and done uh, Doom Side of the Moon, which is like a, a heavy metal uh, laser celebration of Pink Floyd's uh, music. It's really fun. Um, I also have a you know a whole solo sort of uh, I wouldn't call it a career uh, <laughs> <laughs> solo hobby, I, I guess. Um, with my own music, that's it's more of like a punk rock kind of band. I'm more, I, I'm a, I'm a punk rocker at heart. Yeah, um, yeah I bought, but, uh, I yeah, bought your I, solo album. I, it's fantastic. Well, thank you very yeah. much. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll paint, I'll write books, I'll do anything you need. You just call me, and uh, I'm currently doing a, a podcast called The Highway yes. with Kyle Shut, and uh, it's just about my silly adventures. Uh, you know, touring, interviewing my friends and uh, f- friends and other people alike. So it's it's just good to get uh, musicians and other people's um, hilarious travel stories because if you travel around the world enough. You get into a lot of trouble, you know. So it's a it's, it's a good time. Yeah, it is a great podcast. If you want to hear some good tour stories, I was listening to the one with the guy from All Them Witches recently. Oh, that was a that was a great one. And, and thank you for saying so. I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, Ben uh, from All Them Witches. We have some great ones coming up, like uh, Dave from Monster Magnet. Oh, cool. Uh, Buzz from Melvins. I mean, it's uh, I, I'm really shocked at the amount of people that agreed to come on the program. So I'm just hey, I'm doing my best here. I'm, I'm shocked that you agreed to come on this program. So it's a circle of shock, you know. Uh, I, I'm a huge fan of the art of cinema. I think that it's um, cool. it's not gone, but it's it definitely uh, sort of takes a back burner these days. Uh, I feel like that movies are tough. Yeah, yeah. You know, to uh, to even make. Um, I've, yeah, yeah. Well, you know. Th- uh, I'm glad to hear that. And you wanted to talk about this movie today. We want you, you. I gave you a list. I was sure you were gonna pick heavy metal. Like I was almost positive, because I don't. Yeah, I don't like to do like the, the obvious. Ah, I like to kind of like dig a little deeper sometimes. Yeah. You know, well, you've but, covered uh, the song. I hope I, I, hope I didn't disappoint. <laughs> like you, you on your Bandcamp, you have a cover of one of the songs from heavy metal. Right. Uh, two of the songs. Two of the actually. songs. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I did um, the Veterans of the Psychic Wars. Yes. <laughs> by Blue to Call, and I also did um, Reach Out by Cheap Trick. Yeah. I, uh, as a request. Sometimes I take requests from fans, and that was a request. I love both those bands. So yes. Uh, but you wanted to talk about Natural Born Killers. So I did. Now, when I started this podcast, like this podcast has changed a bit since I my I, my first idea when doing this podcast was to talk about movies that they don't the kind of movies they don't make anymore. And this kind of falls more into that category because Natural Born Killers is not a forgotten film. It's not so popular these days, but it is, it is, it is in that preamble I said at the beginning, it is very out of date because this movie could only have been made in the early 90s. 
Oh, no, but I, I think when it came out, I, I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but I, I'm pretty sure it was the most gunshots like in a movie ever. Like when it came out, it was very controversial, even back in what, what was it, 95, 94, 96 when 94, it came out? 94, I, 94. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's the most gunshots ever because there is the wild bunch, but it's definitely quite a few. <laughs> um, but why did you want to talk about natural born killers? Well, number one, I think um, it was just. Uh, Woody Harrelson at the time mm-hmm. was super into that um, kind of like uh, what do you call it? character actor? He, yeah, he yeah. got typecast a lot, you know. Yeah, and uh, so he did a lot of roles that were trying to like break out of that mold, and I really liked that. Okay. Uh, Juliette Lewis, for that matter, um, mm-hmm. and uh, also the soundtrack. Oh was yeah, we'll get killer. there. Killer. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. But um, it was just uh, it had a lot of style. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not I'm not the biggest Oliver Stone fan, yeah, you know, but, uh, yeah. but he he really brought it. <laughs> brought the pain with that one and um it just uh i like how tom sizemore kind of like played himself in it you know yeah and for just, good and bad yeah know, was, <laughs> yeah and um it, it's just unique like you said like it couldn't get made today Mm-mm. it probably shouldn't have been made at all i don't know but it was a it's, it's a great movie it's kind of like american history x or mm. something like okay, that yeah, but yeah. with no message you know just no, it was just message. pure entertainment i think it, i think I, I think this movie has a strong message, you know. I think I, you're right. I'm sorry, that was unfair. No, it's it's cool. I mean, it's a sad. It's more of a. It's much more of a satire than American History X. American History X is a, is a much heavier film than that's true. Than it, this. Yeah, especially the the scene when like they like all, all the the scenes when they're like running away in the beginning, like where there's actual like canned laughter oh, and God, things like that. Yeah. It, is, it is very much a satire. Yeah. Yes, it's a disturbing satire, but it's still a satire. So <laughs> I was 15 when this movie came out, and I've talked about on this podcast, my dad owned a video store when I was a kid. Nice. Yeah, growing up until about... Lucky. Yeah, until I was 16. So this is near the very end of that. And he was a terrible censor. Like, <laughs> as I people who listen to this already know this, but like my dad let me watch Revenge of the Nerds when it came out. I was five. Oof. Uh, Terminator, Terminator <laughs> Two, The Thing, or Terminator One, The Thing, um, any you name it, pretty much. I think the only movies I could, the only movie he wouldn't let me watch as a kid was Clockwork Orange. Other than that, it was pretty much a fair game. And <laughs> we were watching. I was actually watching this movie with my dad on home video when it came out on VHS. And Damn. yeah, and when it got to the stuff with Mallory's dad, which we'll talk about a bit. Also, content warning for this. Before I forget, this movie is a dark, it's a satire. It's a very dark satire that has some stuff about sexual abuse and other nasty topics. And if that might offend, might make you upset, maybe tune this one out. Just FYI. But anyway, so the stuff with Mallory and her dad and the abuse there, my dad turned the movie off for a minute and he's like, I don't know if you should watch this. And I was like, and I was like, come on. <laughs> I'm f- we're, we're already like 20 minutes in, man. Come on. It's too man. late. And, and we went through it. And once we got past that part, I don't think he minded as much. But I think that stuff kind of upset him, too. So that's because that's a really upsetting stuff in the movie. But yeah, that, that's how I first heard it. That's when I first saw it. I owned the soundtrack. I, at one point, I probably owned this on DVD just because I liked, I, when I was, in, especially in college, I like to get like, you know, fucked up movies. But yeah, I, I revisited it, uh, like, I think during the middle of the quarantine last year with my boyfriend, who is Japanese, and he had never even heard of this movie. And I think it I think it scarred him because it's wow. I was going to say, yeah. like, Japanese horror movies are pretty, like, abrasive, but he's not a horror like, fan. Like, yeah, no. but 
this isn't a horror movie per se, but no. it, it is horrifying. Yeah, you know. <laughs> no, no, my boyfriend, my boyfriend is not the type of person who's going to watch The Ring or or Pulse or any or Dark Water. Those type. No, he, yeah, audition. You uh, ever seen that one? <laughs> audition. Audition is the only movie I've ever seen that I will that like. After I watched audition, I couldn't watch horror movies for a, about a year. I was just like, I like how it. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just like, I'm done. I'm gonna go back to kung fu for a while, and I'll, I'll come back to horror later. Yeah, I like how audition. Uh, I know we're not doing okay. a podcast on that movie, but but still, it's um. I like how it's a rom com for like half an hour, <laughs> yeah. and then all of a sudden, it's the most fucked up movie you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> That's Takisi McKay, man. That's Takisi. Uh, there is a Takisi McKay movie I want to talk about on this podcast at some point called Dead or Alive, which has the most batshit insane opening and closing 10 minutes of any movie I've ever seen that wrap a relatively standard crime drama. But it's that that's a whole other topic. That movie's nuts because Takisi McKay is crazy. But no, we're not talking about him today. We're talking about natural born killers. <laughs> so did you did you see this movie when you were a teenager? Uh, I wanted to see it in theaters, but my parents wouldn't let me. Uh, they, I, I kind of had a similar story where I lived. Um, my my parents didn't own a movie store, but I lived um, walking distance from uh, in a very small town uh, from a video rental place. And my parents kind of just let me rent whatever I wanted, and um, I basically went, you know, through the horror movie category from A to Z. So I was, you know, pretty well seasoned mm -hmm. to seeing some gore and stuff. But um, whenever this one came out, it was just like I said, there was just so much controversy around it that they didn't want me to see it. So I yeah. didn't catch it until probably like. Oh, I don't know, 96, 97, whenever it was on VHS, okay. you know, and um, I actually got the director's cut that was on like the double VHS yeah. um, kind of gate, gatefold thing. Yeah, I remember that. So it was like e extra long, you know, and um, it was just, I, I really enjoyed it. You know, it was, a, it's it's a, it's a love story at the heart of it. Yeah, um, it's bit, just yeah. told in a, in a really just. Yeah, satirical, abrasive, very gory way, mm -hmm. and um, I would just—I'd love the soundtrack, the the Nine Inch Nails song on there, "Burn," Burn just incredible, so good. and yeah, uh, Burn is so all good. of—I mean, just every, every, all the soundtracks in the '90s were just awesome, and uh, mm -hmm. it just had this like style to it. That I Yeah, and you know, you talk about horror movies, and like, I think when I was a, a young teen, if I wanted to watch Friday the Thirteenth or or a Nightmare on Elm Street or something like that, my dad and even my mom didn't care that much because that's um, that's just stupid, you know. But something like this that kind of covers some more heavy topics, I think it's disturbing in a different way. So that's one of the. I think it's it's a little bit different than your typical like horror movie you know and i think a lot of that has to do with you know who made it you know because it's it's written kind of written by quentin tarantino and directed by oliver stone so talk to people where am i wrong weren't like scenes of it directed by other no nope, no nope, people it's too? all no it's no, all stone it's all oliver stone it's all okay. stone tarantino wrote a wrote the script when he was still working at the vid his video store when he was like trying to become a screenwriter and then he sold it. He he thought he could make it cheap, but it didn't work out. So then he sold the script for ten thousand dollars and then regretted it. And <laughs> yeah, uh, and after Reservoir Dogs got big, he wanted to buy it back, and they wouldn't let him. And 
it was a whole big thing. The money, the money he spent, the money he got to sell this, he used to buy the cherry red Malibu that you that you see in Pulp Fiction. So, dang, <laughs> the money went somewhere good. But um, when he got it, he bought it. These two producers bought it from him, and it's kind of a strange story. There's a whole book about this, like about the making of the movie that I haven't read called Killer Instinct, and it's a by um, one of the producers, Jane Hampshire, who's really no longer in Hollywood because I think. Once he wrote this book, all the bridges just burst into flames. Um, <laughs> and she claims that, you know, Tarantino was kind of a creep, and which I, does, does not surprise me in the least. Stone is, too, for that matter. Stone but, is yeah. Stone's a different kind of creep. But yeah, they're both kind of creeps. And he was upset with the changes because they radically rewrote the script. Like, Because uh, the movie is about, you know, two serial killers and the well, mass murderers, I guess, and the media storm around them but quentin tarantino's script is much less about the media the media stuff that none all that all that all the media commentary not in his version and it's just i don't know i think i think that added a lot to the story maybe I that think, was a good change i think without it i mean who knows his version's totally different i guess you could you used to be able to buy his script he made it a book and wow. in his script um the reporter character is the main actor and it's more about him following Mickey and Mallory. And it doesn't have any of the commentary. All the stuff about Mallory's abuse, that's not in a movie. Uh, most of the dialogue's the same, actually. That is that that any scene that stayed in it, they didn't change the dialogue. Because the movie is very Tarantino with dialogue. You know, rapid fire, pop culture references, all that shit. Yeah. But they added, they shifted the focus to Mickey and Mallory. And it was funny, in Quentin Tarantino's version, the script called for it to be shot on video as a means to keep it cheap. You make it, you shoot it on video like it's a TV show, then you, sure, don't, yeah. then you, don't, have to, then you don't have to get film. Because he wanted to make it for like half a million dollars. But it, did, it didn't work out. And, but that's, kind of, that's the one thing that also, another thing that kind of carried over is like the mixed media thing, which I think is the, one of the most interesting things about the movie. I love movies made that way. That it's just kind of like a mishmash of everything. I mean, Tarantino's kind of like that. I, oh, I yeah. guess like all of his movies are sort of like a mixtape. But I just I love when like things are just cut and spliced and just like what like, total chaos. Yeah, it, oh, I love it. Yeah, it really feels like a '90s music video in some ways. Like totally, like a vi- like the video for like I, I'm only happy when it rains or something. You know, like when, like the or the or a Marilyn Manson video. Like I forgot that director, woman director who been reading all those like weird fucked up videos that had like the scratch film and stuff on them, but. Because this movie was shot on 35mm, 16mm, Super 8 film, High 8 film, and Beta. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> that oh. poor editor. Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the poor editor and the poor director of photography, which I'll, I, I'll get to him in a minute. But yeah, the, the typical movie type movie stuff is on 35mm. The, uh, the black and white 16mm is to show like abusive moments, I guess. Like that was the point of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then the super eight and the high eight are more for like home, like stuff that he wanted to look like a home movie. And then anything that was shot for TV is beta. So, like, all the sitcom stuff is beta. So, so that's, I don't, I don't know. Those, like, does, have you done many music videos? Many. Yeah, many. Those all, those are all shot DV now, though, right? 
Um, not back in the day. Yeah. Um, it, it, it kind of depended on what we wanted to do. Yeah. Um, okay. There was some, the, the, the craziest one we ever did was we shot it to digital and then dumped it down to a broken, uh, VCR <laughs> so that it looked all shitty and it was like all scratchy and shit like that. Literally, it was just like a really shitty VCR. And then we dumped that back into digital. Okay. That, so we could like clean it up or whatever, but like we've definitely done some film manipulation, but, um, for the most part it was safe not not nearly as crazy as that yeah because you, you but you know well you know since you've you've been in front of a camera having to shoot stuff you know lighting is not easy for the for a, no not at so all yeah it, and so like i can only imagine like yeah going between the, uh, the formats like that oh, my god i don't need to talk about the director of this too much it's oliver it's oliver stone like i mean people know who that is i imagine have you seen many oliver stone movies a handful not I, i'm not um you know, like super well versed on uh, uh, all of his history and anything or anything like that. But I do know that uh, he was kind of creepy with the ladies, you know, as uh, yeah. Hollywood directors were back in the days and things yeah. like that. So he's not the most respectable human being. Um, you know, I don't really have a whole lot more to say about yeah. that. But but have well, have you seen have you seen like Platoon or Wall Street or Born of July? The yeah, Doors? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And then uh, what was the the last? I think the last one I saw was Any Given Sunday. Didn't he do that one? Yeah, that was his last. Actually, his last hit. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like a well, big then, hit. Yeah. And that was 99. <laughs> so yeah. he's kind of fallen on the wayside. But in the 80s, he was a big deal because- It's a big deal. Before he was a director, he wrote Scarface, which was, a, which was a bomb but when it came out, but did it good on video. But he also wrote Midnight Express and the first Conan movie. So- He wrote Conan the Barbarian? One, he's one of the writers on Conan, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, he wow. has a he That's has a strange incredible. strange career that guy, and you know he he because he he was in Vietnam. That's that's why that's where all his Vietnam mm-hmm. movies kind of kind of come from. And after he got back, he he wanted to get into movies, and so he his first movies kind of whatever he he made a movie with Michael Caine called The Hand. It's about a killer hand. It is what it is, but in an '86 he made Salvador, which didn't do that good, but it was well well liked by critics and then also the same year platoon which was just like huge 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 movie it was the first vietnam movie made by a vietnam vet so that was a big deal followed it up with wall street followed that up with born of july then the doors and then jfk so this just back- huge. what a string of hits my god yeah i mean the doors the doors wasn't a huge hit but it did good on video and it was really big in the zeitgeist of people, you know, because Jim Morrison and shit. And then after all those huge movies, he made a movie called Heaven and Hell, which was his third Vietnam movie. And that wasn't a hit. And it was apparently really, really hard to make. So after making that, he's like, I want to do something fun. What's this natural born killer script? <laughs> <laughs> and that's where he got the idea to make it. I, I love the idea of natural born killers being his fun movie. Yeah, it was like he was like, "Well, I've got five hundred thousand extra rounds of ammo. Like, what kind of movie can we make with this?" You know? Yeah, I got all these blood packs, and I got to use these blood packs. They'll expire. So, what do we do? And he had like a crew that would work with him a lot, and one of them was his cinematographer, Robert Richardson. And the really interesting thing reading about this movie is this movie damn near killed him, like almost literally. He wow. He didn't want to make it because he hated the script. And Stone had to convince him. It's like, no, this is not. This movie is making fun of the culture. It's not an endorsement of violence. But apparently, some stuff in this movie kind of triggered some PTSD in the director and the cinematographer. I think some of the Damn. some of the abuse stuff. 
And I can see that he like started having to take sleeping pills, got hooked on sleeping pills. At the same time, his wife almost died, and all this other stuff happened. There was a shot in that movie when when Mallory is running through the prison door and hits the door and knocks herself out. That's like a a first person shot, and filming that shot, he broke his finger. Oh my god! Yes, and uh, the next guy who tried to do the shot cut his eye open. Oh. Yeah. So, like, all kinds of, like, in terms of, like, for, for the poor Zorta photography, man, rough, rough going. <laughs> so. Good Lord. I mean, like, shooting a movie it, it itself is already kind of an awkward experience. Yeah. And so, like, putting yourself in danger like that and, like, filming these super dangerous scenes, especially when you're, like, not a stunt person or mm-hmm. anything. You're, like, you're literally the camera person that's, like, getting hurt. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you don't get any of the glory, you know? So, <laughs> it's like. But he 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 worked with Stone a few times after that, but not much since. I think he he left L.A. I think after this movie was done, he's like he got out of L.A. He needed a break. So I hope he's doing okay. <laughs> and like we talked about Tarantino and the producers, it was funny because like I think Oliver Stone rewrote most of this movie because it has two other screenwriters. One's his producer, Richard Rutowski, who's done other 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 Stone films. And the other is this dude named David Veloz, who has done nothing. Like, he he apparently was a hardcore Mormon, like, who didn't even drink tea, but somehow got involved with Stone's friends, and I guess Stone completely corrupted him, and he was, by the end of the writing sessions, he was drinking Pepsi. Because he's he's a Mormon. Mormon. I was gonna uh, if you hadn't told me that I was gonna say like well he was their dealer so they were just like well we'll put your name but in there somewhere. By this you know? <laughs> by this point I don't think Stone was still doing cocaine. I know yeah. he was still doing mushrooms and quote unquote smart drugs. This is a phrase he would use. But <laughs> I know he quit cocaine in the early, like he was trying to quit cocaine when he was writing Scarface. Which okay, that'll do it. I I mean, well, yeah, because that's a good point. Yeah, Scar, because it's funny that while on drugs, he wrote Scarface and Midnight Express, which are two of the most like anti-drug movies you could possibly imagine. <laughs> but this dude, he's this dude made this movie, uh, Permanent Midnight, which was a uh, who's that guy? Ben Stiller movie that came out in the early two thousands, and it has Janine Garofalo. It's very it's very two thousands indie, but. No one really – it didn't do anything. And he also co-wrote Behind Enemy, Behind Enemy Lines of Owen Wilson. Which oh, came, wow. And that's it. Yeah. And that's it. That's all he's done. Like, <laughs> so I don't know. You said Owen Wilson, and I did, and I did the Owen Wilson. I went, wow. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my boyfriend always forgets Owen Wilson's name when he calls him that nose guy. <laughs> which I thought was I thought was pretty funny, but yeah. So like that's it. And like the I told you the other main producer, Jan Ham, Jane Hampshire, she quit pretty much and has gone to blogging and writing. And the other big producer was Don Murphy. He also produced Double Dragon, <laughs> the Double Dragon movie. Jeez. Yes, wow. I haven't and, seen that in forever. Don't. And a few other <laughs> few other movies that weren't great, but then he was the guy who convinced Hasbro to make Transformers movies. So I think he's doing quite well. He better be. I mean, he, my God. Yeah. How many? They're like four deep, five deep, something like that. Yeah, they're like eight billion deep, and they've each made like a bazillion dollars. I mean, they're mostly terrible, but hey, he's laughing to the bank. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah.
But yeah, that's, you know, people behind the screen. I think another interesting thing about this movie is it kind of came out right when a lot of people were right at their peak in terms of acting. Because, like, very true. Yeah, like you said, Woody Harrelson, you know, this is, he made movies before this. He was in, you know, that, that 80s um, football comedy, Wildcats. And yeah, he did like Indecent Proposal. He did like yeah, uh, yeah. W- something. There was another one that was like White Men Can't Jump. Yeah, White Men Can't Jump you know, was and his, things like, but yeah. all lighthearted kind of. I mean, Indecent Proposal is not very lighthearted, but it's not like you know, he he wasn't straying too far from what he was known for. Yeah, I mean, at the time, yeah, know? White Men Can't Jump is a comedy. It's a little serious. It's a, White Men Can't Jump's a pretty good movie. I think mm-hmm. it's worth watching again. And then, but he made that, I think, while Cheers, right when Cheers ended, White Men Can't Jump came out. And then Indecent Proposal, which is a bad movie, but it's, you know, Robert Redford, Demi Moore, I mean, come on. And then this movie. And I think this was him, like, saying, I am not Woody from Cheers. Totally. <laughs> and I will prove it. It's it's a very much like a Miley Cyrus wrecking ball moment. It's like... <laughs> He did a great job. I mean, I, I loved, I absolutely loved his performance. He's terrifying in this movie. He he mm-hmm. he is very good at this role. And I wonder if he took anything from his family because you know his dad was a killer. Mm-hmm. His dad died in prison. Like his dad yep. was a hitman. Not a lot of people know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's strange little fact that his dad also at one point claimed to have killed Kennedy, but I don't think that was true. Um, <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> So you got him right at his first peak, and then you got Juliet Lewis as Mallory. Did you have a crush on her when you were young? I did, um, but I, I'm trying to think of like what she did before then, because she did some like rom coms and things after that. But like, I don't. Uh, the only movies I really remember her from before then were like Christmas Vacation, yeah, yeah. and like, like what else was Cape Fear? That? Cape Fear. Oh God! Yeah, well, that was kind of dark. Okay, kinda. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah cape fear and her first movie is i think my stepmother is an alien so like you know very light but she she was very much like the winona Ryder type of like i'm an indie alternative actress you know Mm -hmm. and she was in back to back to back she was in california with uh brad pitt and i think david duchovny and that's another serial killer movie and then this movie and then one of my all-time favorite favorite movies that nobody has ever seen called strange days i love strange days you love oh right. that was that, great yeah it's a fantastic I, I haven't seen it in a long time that was a it, it, what was the guy's name steven dorf was that him that no it? no that's right dude who, who's the guy in it ray fines oh god yeah that's right i haven't seen it in a long time no and that it, was a great movie yeah though. angela bassett and that was uh, directed by Catherine bigelow and written by james cameron and yeah that's a rad movie, but nobody saw that. And I'm kind of bummed that since the 2000s, like Juliet Lewis has kind of become like a supporting actress. You know, like she was in, she had that small role in old school and like, and like Starsky and Hutch and these movies like that. And it's, right, yeah. it's just like, man, you could, you could try. <laughs> like, what was the one that was kind of, uh, kind of problematic that the other sister? <laughs> good, good poll. Wow. Wow. Yeah, good <laughs> yes, he was in the others. What's the, do you remember that movie? What, what, what's that movie? Tell people what that is because that's a movie. Oh, well, you know, it's, I, I can't remember the guy in the movie. Uh, but they both, yeah, yeah, they both play, uh, mentally challenged, uh, people in, in an era when that was totally cool. And, um, yeah, I don't, 
I don't know if that's cool or not. I don't know. I, I just it, remember it was like a really big movie when it came out. You know, I think it's. I think, and I'm of the opinion that 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 can be okay. But that movie was so obviously Oscar bait that yeah, it, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I also forgot from Dust Till Dawn. She's in that, of course, which is a oh yeah, that movie's rad, man. I love that. I I, I do wish she would do more. Another person who was really big at the time who was in this movie is um Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, yeah. That, he was kind of like a in a dip then. This really. is you know what I mean. Like he, this is right before the dip. Oh, okay. Like literally right before, like almost immediately, because <laughs> he was using he was using at this point. Oh, sure. And absolutely. Like I know, I know you're in, you're in a stoner rock band. You have you have a podcast called The Highway. I'm not gonna, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm not criticizing people who enjoy, who occasionally like to partake in, especially marijuana. But he was like mainline and heroin at this point. Like he's not absolutely man. He was one of the yeah the Hollywood bad boys for yeah. sure. Yeah, he's a coke and heroin. Those are not uh, those less fun. I think you know. And but like because he was in he started in the eighties. He was in Weird Science and Back to School, and then you know had a few hits in the nineties. He was nominated for an Oscar for Chaplin. And then I was gonna say his hair in Back to School is the oh, stuff of legend. Oh, I mean, it's like, great. <laughs> yeah, and I always thought it was it was, it was messed up in Less Than Zero because he's basically playing himself ten years later. Like, <laughs> I don't think I saw that. Maybe I need to go check. You that. don't want to see Less Than Zero. I'm gonna say Less Than Zero has not aged well. It has a good soundtrack. It has a Slayer's cover of Enigma Devita. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, there's that, but. Not a not not a not a great film, and then like immediately afterwards, drugs and drugs, 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 Iron Man. So I was gonna say drugs, drugs, Ally McBeal. Oh drugs, yeah, Dr- yeah, Iron Man. I forget he got <laughs> fired from Ally McBeal because he was, he was doing too many drugs. Man, good man, good. So far, I'm I'm impressed with the you know the guitar player the guitar the metal, heavy metal guitar player. Like no, Ally McBeal. Like oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> well, because then I feel like he. Like Iron Man, but then like, you know, wasn't Tropic Thunder right before Iron Man? Yeah, well, by Tropic Thunder, he was clean. Like, he was clean now. Yeah, I just yeah. mean like, as far as that role is concerned, yeah. that was a controversial role. My goodness. I, I like that movie, and I, I'm not going to get on a soapbox and defend that role. I think... Oh, no way. I, I thought it was great, too. I yeah. mean, the, the, it, that whole movie was just satire yeah. as well you know what i mean it was like making fun of hollywood yeah making fun of itself and i just thought it was great but yeah it's just <laughs> yeah. another movie you couldn't make today <laughs> i don't yeah I, well i mean you could i, I think guess. <laughs> i think i think people i think once people saw that movie and they got what he was doing it wasn't as bad it that's one of those things that has a bad trailer like because you see what he was doing in that movie out of context and it's terrible <laughs> in the context of the film I mean, it is what it is. I'm not gonna, like I said, that's not a soapbox I want to die on. Doesn't bother me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but and then, and speaking of an, another person who was just like getting at its peak at this exact point was Tommy Lee Jones, who's also in the movie as the God. That's right. The warden. He was the wasn't the sheriff, the right? Warden, or something the like warden. that. What was he? The warden, warden of the, yeah. the jail. Yeah, yeah. And like he was in a ton of movies, like in the set. He was in a few movies in the seventies and eighties. He's in a movie I love called Rolling Thunder. Which is written by mm-hmm. by um the guy who did Taxi Driver, and Paul 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 Schrader, and a few other movies like that. But in the nineties, man, he just exploded. In ninety three and ninety four, he was in seven movies. That's crazy. He was in House of Cards, The Fugitive, of course, and 
But before that, Under Siege. He's in Under Siege as the bad guy. <laughs> I love Under Siege. It's the best Steven Seagal film, I think. <laughs> and then but yeah. and the, the sequel as well uh, on, on a train instead of a submarine you know <laughs> that's not it wasn't a submarine it was a boat but yeah there was a submarine oh, was a boat. Movie, oh okay 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 but he's an under siege the fugitive blown away the client natural born killers Cobb, all in two three years and then batman forever volcano men in black like Lord. yeah it was just like you couldn't turn your head without seeing Tommy Lee Jones. It's crazy. He actually um, had a house in my hometown. I, I grew up in Midland, Texas, which is like the the home of Friday Night Lights and all that kind of stuff. Oh, he, oh yes. a big um, polo club out there. He was a big polo uh, enthusiast. And uh, yeah, he was always kind of bouncing around my hometown, which at the time only had like 100,000 people in it. So whenever Tommy Lee Jones was in town, it was a, a huge deal. <laughs> well, in Japan, where I live, because I'm in Tokyo, he is famous because he is the spokesperson for Boss Coffee, which Crazy. is like a canned coffee drink here. And you, he's in a million commercials, and he's on all the vending machines. Like that's awesome. It's it's hilarious. It's a lot like um, Bill Murray's character in in uh, Lost in Translation. You know, he goes to because <laughs> that used to be a big thing here, in the, especially in the nineties. Before the internet, people would come to Japan and make commercials because Americans wouldn't Absolutely. see them. Like Harrison Ford did commercials here, Schwarzenegger did commercials here. Ben Stiller did. I remember seeing some of those. Like when when YouTube first started, yeah. that was one of the funniest things you could watch. Was like, yeah, American celebrities doing their crazy like Korean or Japanese uh, commercials and stuff. There used to be a great website called Japander, like so Japanese pandering, <laughs> and and it had all those commercials. And so that's why you don't see that as much. But Time Lee Jones still making that money. He's been the Boss Coffee spokesperson, I think, since two thousand six. Good so for him. If you want to see if you want to see like type type in on YouTube, Time Lee Jones Boss Coffee, some great, 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 terrible, great ads. Very good. But a couple other people really quick. Like you said before, Tom Sizemore. Yeah. Yeah. Just, Tom, just playing himself. Tom you know Sizemore I mean? just like... playing himself. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody else who fell off the wagon hard after this. And and also one more two two small roles I want to call out. Rodney Dangerfield in his only dramatic role and as playing Mallory's dad. And as his wife in the movie is a woman named Edie McClurg. Now, do you know who that is at all? I, I do not know. But but Rodney knocked it out of the park. I mean, like he's always been one of my favorites. Yeah. And like just the the fact that he dove into that role, like, yeah. you know. Uh, just head first. I, I just I had a lot of respect for him for that because that's not an easy you know or, or easy uh, role to stomach. You yeah, know? that's a, and, that's, um, a, that's a tricky. He, he, he owned it. It was yeah. great, especially that death scene, all that stuff. Oh yeah, it's great. It's tricky. So well, I mean, we'll get. I guess that we talk about that sequence is the scene. The scene in the movie where you you find out how the two main characters, Mickey and Mallory, met, and it's played like a sitcom, mm -hmm. shot on video with a laugh track, and. You find out very quickly that Juliet Lewis Mallory's dad, played by Dangerfield, is sexually abusing her, and there's a laugh track over it. And it's, yeah, it's it, basically anytime anything awkward happens, they throw in the can laughter, and it just it really adds to the um, just the the atmosphere of the movie, you know. Well, I, I think as a satire, yeah, it's a satire, and I think that the playing on stuff like you know sitcoms used to make fun of physical abuse all the time, like the Honeymooners. You know, absolutely, and, and stuff like that. So why not this? And it's just, it is still the only part in the film. It's like I don't want to watch this. I don't want to watch this. It's just, it's. My dad was right. 
it's too much. <laughs> it's it's made to make you squirm. Yeah, you know. But yeah, but his mom, her mom, Edie McC- in the movie, Edie McClurg, you've seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? Mm-hmm. That's the secretary. Oh wow! And she is the one in. Have you seen um uh um uh planes, trains, automobiles? Absolutely. When when Steve Martin, she, she's the yeah the the the, the clerk at the desk. Yes. That's right. You're fucked. Yes, her. And <laughs> but you you're probably just a little too young to remember that she was on every '80s sitcom. So there was a show called Valerie with Valerie Harper, and then Valerie Harper did. Wanted more money, so they killed the character and renamed it the Hogan family. It's a whole thing. She was. Oh the, wow! Yeah. I didn't know that. I remember the Hogan family, but I don't remember Valerie. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's how that's how Valerie started. Whenever. Damn. Yeah, my I was watching the Muppet Show on Disney Plus, and Valerie Harper was on there, and I was like, "Oh, that there she is." Yeah, but yeah, so she was the wacky neighbor on that. So like, and that was her typical casting choice. Was like very chipper because she has that voice, you know. Oh, you yeah. know, and then to see her in this, it's like, oh, 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 it's, it's. I like that she did that too. You know, I, I, like I said, I haven't seen this movie in, in a minute, mm-hmm. but um, that th- that that's great. I, I love when actors just are f- just game for whatever. You yeah, know? and I I think hits her only dramatic role, just like Dangerfield. It's only Dangerfield's only dramatic role, and he also improved most of it. Like he wrote his lines. So that's awesome. That's that's good for him. I, I I would rather see him in Caddyshack. Maybe I would just go back and and watch Caddyshack or or Back to School. I think those are you know a <laughs> little easier to tolerate. But yeah, it's you know different time. But. The, the the time of this movie is very interesting because this movie came out you know, in 94 and this is kind of a reaction to the media culture of the time. How much do you remember about like tabloid TV growing up? You know, it, it it was it was you know before TMZ, before all that kind of stuff, and tabloid TV was only it was only like Entertainment Weekly with like John Tesh. Well, yeah, well that and was like yeah. uh, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. It it wasn't there wasn't too much of it really. Like reality TV wasn't a thing back well, then. You know, unless unless we're talking about um, uh, yeah, stuff like that. You know, or, or um, God, I'm trying to think of a different one. Uh, I'm well. What I'm thinking of is more like like Entertainment Tonight became more tabloidy in the 90s. I used to watch it in the 80s just to see movie trailers and stuff because before YouTube, that's how you got them. But when I'm thinking of tabloid TV in the 90s, I'm thinking of hard copy or okay, yeah, yeah. current affair and and court TV and like the rise that's what i was yeah thinking of it was like people's court and things like that 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 was reality tv to us or, or like yeah. game shows like mm-hmm. daytime game shows and things like yeah because court tv started in 91 and immediately cops what <laughs> the, the the show cops cops yeah also cops yeah. that's another good point yeah cops started in the late 80s and speaking of things you don't want to see anymore jesus christ that show <laughs> i think it got canceled i think it did thank god um but court TV was crazy because it was the first you could just turn on TV and watch court cases, 
And there were a few really big ones in the early 90s. I think there was Jeffrey Dahmer, the serial killer. You know the the the, the yeah, and um, the OJ case. OJ, too. of course, I mean, that was that yeah, we'll was fully televised. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, the Rodney King trial, and then the riots. Yep. Amy Fisher. Do you remember Amy Fisher? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Amy Fisher. I do. And um, yeah. God, wasn't uh, Tanya Harding and yes. Nancy Kerrigan? Was yep. that trial? On? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was on TV. Amy Fisher has kind of been forgotten to time. Thank God. In if. You're a bit younger than us. <laughs> Amy Fisher was a 17-year-old girl in Long Island who was in a relationship with an adult named Joey Buttafuoco, and he convinced maybe Amy Fisher to try and kill his wife. And she shot her. She shot his wife in the face, and she lived. Yep. And there was a, that was a there were three TV movies about it the same weekend. I remember oh, that. Lord. On each network, and and uh, it was, and there was an episode about on SNL that like every single skit was about Amy Fisher, and it was just <laughs> all over. It was so sensationalized, and then at the same, and now now she's a, a cam model apparently. Um, oh wow! You know, you, you, yeah, like now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's had a lot of work done. Anyway, uh, then there was the Menendez brothers. Who were? Oh God, that's right. Yeah, those two rich kids who killed their dad and said it was abuse, and it, it uh-huh, probably wasn't. Uh-huh. There was Michael Jackson. The first time that happened, and then there was the John Wayne John Wayne Bobbitt case. <laughs> that was on TV. Oh God, that's right. Yeah, John Wayne. I, just, Bob- I remember. I I don't think I watched it, but I, I remember it being just like every joke on you know David Letterman and everything like that. You know, at the time. Yeah, because. Uh, what, what do you remember? The, do you for our younger listeners? What was the John Wayne Bobbitt case? Oh God, I don't remember why, but <laughs> Lorena Bobbitt cut off John Bobbitt's dick and just like threw it out the window, yeah, or something like that. Yeah. I, I don't remember why she did it. But, she um, said he was abusing her. So okay, neither of them were found guilty apparently. So you know, um, and they sewed it back on. Didn't they, they like sewed on. it back on? And he did porn. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. They, so hey, overcoming adversity. Um. So like <laughs> that's all ninety one to ninety three, and then Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding. That's ninety four, and then so the movie is kind of rewritten as these things are happening, and Oliver Stone is seeing how the world is, you know, how media is shaping the world, and that that kind of becomes the thrust of the film, because as I said, hinted on before, the movie's about two mass murderers. But it's also equally about how the media views them. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's what I took away from it. Yeah. A- anyway, you know, he's like sensationalism is like, I feel like the enemy of any message. You know what I mean? So it's oh, that's almost a good point. impossible. Even, even today, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. no matter what your message is, if you let the media run wild with it, it just not only does it um, take away that message's power, mm-hmm. you know, but it just uh, it makes it impossible for anybody to do anything with it going forward without it being tainted or or, or to, uh, to to bring up anything, you know, without fear of uh, some media outlet being like, oh, is that the new thing? Oh, let's get all over it. Ah, you know, just like yeah. choke the life out of everything. I, maybe it's an American thing. I'm pretty sure it's an American thing where just, uh, you know, anybody will just between ratings or whatever, if anybody can get any sort of notoriety out of it, they just like pounce on it and just choke the life out of it until there's nothing left, you know? Yeah. And, and when you combine that with like real crimes of people suffering, it, it gets, it gets scary. Yeah. Yeah. There, and there was also the Branch Davidian compound at the same time. 
Oh God! Yeah, Waco. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. yeah, Waco. That's just just an hour and a half north of here. Oh, sorry about <laughs> that. That was the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, that, that whole thing, and like, it's just so many things that were just unfolding on live TV, and and that was the all the commentaries of media at the time were like, everything's on TV, everything's on TV, because this is before the this is before the World Wide Web, so oh, yeah. that that part of media criticism didn't exist yet, and and and. I don't know, like, I don't think kids don't realize, I keep saying kids today, but they really don't realize how much TV we used to watch. Like, yeah. I've seen every episode of Step by Step. It wasn't a good show, but it was the only thing on <laughs> at 4.30 <laughs> after school. So, I have, you know, like, and that's like, you just watch TV all day. Like, if you're home on the weekend, it's raining outside, you don't want to do anything, okay, I'll watch Comedy Central's Marathon of Soap. Because, yep, yeah, I remember those days or Nick at Night. Nick at Night, it's like you know, I'm sitting around, it's 1993, and I'm watching some sitcom from 1959, yeah, you know, and then and then also watching the same documentaries about UFOs on History, History Channel over and over and over <laughs> and over again. That's why, you know, that's why shows like you know, the X Files and yeah. uh, things like that got so huge where like you go back and watch them now and it's just kind of bland and boring, yeah. but at the time it was like you know, really cutting edge. Yeah, and and all that was also kind of playing into like more video, like X Files, the whole the yeah. whole UFO boom in in the nineties. I think is playing off people having video cameras, you know, and that's kind of the first uh, America's funniest home videos, you know, <laughs> just yeah, which oh, yeah. started in Japan, you know. So no way, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was a segment on another person's TV show, and wow. so if you if you still watch any American funniest home videos content, it has a copyright for the Tokyo TV station. Still, oh, that's crazy. Yeah, so those guys got paid, but yeah, it was just that was the people's view on the media. There was too much too much TV. People watching TV all the time. Bruce Springsteen had that one song, Fifty Seven Channels and Nothing On. Good song, you know, just <laughs> just all kinds of stuff like that. And that's where this movie comes from. And that's what I think is most interesting about it, without question. You know. any of the deleted scenes oh god those deleted scenes yes um i I don't remember all of them but the one that really stuck with me was i was a huge dennis leary fan oh god back in those days and he did this weird little rant it was like because the the whole movie is kind of like patchwork like pieced together different weird little media things and um i I don't want to give anything away if anybody wants to go look at it but he just dennis leary just goes on this crazy rant like almost it's almost like spoken word poetry just like about mick and mallory and it's just God, it's just awesome. I don't know. Just the way he delivered it and everything. Like I, it's all in one take too, you know, and um, it's, it's just so leery. You know, he was, um, he was a real, I don't know what you want to call him. Uh, it just sort of, he was a stand-up comic, but he had a fresh energy for 1993. He was, the, he was real angry. The, the angry white guy. Yeah. You he know, was the angry that white boy at the time. And he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, and, but I think Stone cut that sequence out because it was so much like Dennis Levy's commercials on, on MTV. And yeah, it, it was. It, I mean, it, it was 
It was. It but was like still. stopping the movie for a Dennis Leary bit. Also, Bret Hart's in that scene. <laughs> the wrestler. <laughs> yeah. So this movie, the the this is a very hard. I mean, uh, you know, Stone said he made it to do something quote unquote fun, but it was a very hard movie to edit because you're working with all these different formats and a fragmented story that's kind of non non chronological at times. And so you get a lot of stuff that's cut out. There are kind of three famous cut scenes from this movie. There's a Dennis Leary scene. There's the scene with the Barbarian Brothers. Do you know who they are? Refresh my memory. I can't remember. Exactly. They are these two muscle heads who were in a bunch of straight-to-video movies in the 80s and 90s. They're bad. They're bad actors. Don't, don't worry about them. Um, and they were, they were like these huge muscle heads. And they have a deleted scene in the movie where they are survivors of Mickey and Mallory who left them stay alive because they were fans of them. Whoa. And it's a poor, like if you watch the, the, the deleted scenes, Stone says he cut that scene because he's being nice. He's saying he cut that scene because he directed it poorly. I think he cut that scene because those guys cannot act. <laughs> and it's a stupid scene. And, it's yeah, weird. But the the biggest deleted scene is the courtroom sequence, which goes on forever, and the main witness is Ashley Judd. I do remember that now. Yeah. Yes. Wow. And that's right. Mickey is this is after they've been arrested. Mickey's taking he is defending himself. He's cross examining her and then murders her on the stand. And Man. it's it's a disturbing scene because he's killing it with, so with a pencil. So it's pretty graphic, but it's also stupid <laughs> because it's just like he'd be dead. At that point, they'd kill him. Like they would just, oh, shoot, absolutely. you know, and the, you got to have a suspense and for disbelief in this movie. But that, I think, it's just taking it too far and it just came off as silly. And so I think all these cuts were good cuts, in, in my opinion. There's also the original ending to the film. What was that? I can't remember. So throughout the film, you see a character kind of flash in. So the the op- do you remember the opening of the movie? What's the do you remember the opening? Uh, refresh my memory. I'm so sorry. I, I I can't remember exactly every detail of it. The opening is the 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 diner scene, the the murder oh, yeah. at the diner. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's a character in the diner who just vanishes, like literally on camera vanishes, and that's Owen who helps them into prison later. He That's okay. same. Yes. A- yes. Now, in the movie, and as the movie ends, and spoilers for this, for, spoilers for a movie that's nearly 30 years old. Um, 20, 20, uh, old movie. <laughs> <laughs> Math is hard. He rescues, he helps them escape the prison. Now, in the original movie, he kills them. He is... It, as it plays in the movie, he's almost their guardian angel. But That's, I remember now. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. as it plays out in the mo- in the original ending, he's almost a guardian devil, and he ends up killing them. And I do like the ending to the film as it is, but it does kind of make that that character just vanishes, <laughs> like. So David Lynch, you know what I mean? <laughs> it, is, it is very surreal. Like it's there's a lot of surreal in this movie. I like with all not 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 just with the cuts. But I like the real projection in the movie. How they'll be traveling yeah. down every the, time they're in the car or whatever. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's kind of like like a TV 
is changing channels and you're like you're seeing what's in their brain. I like how it uses that, light. That one scene whenever they're uh, it's the Leonard Cohen uh, song, um, uh, 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 the future. Yeah, yeah. In that one, just that that whole scene is just fucking incredible, man. Yeah, that's oh yeah, that's good stuff. And the the all the stuff with the Indian, the the, the Native American, that scene. Wow. Um, with that actor who was a, that guy, I forgot his name, but he was an activist in the seventies. He became an actor when he was older. His first movie was *Last of the Mohicans*, um, which is a great, great movie. And but all his stuff is great. And, but the editing and all that is so crazy and so like balls out over the top. I, I that's something else about the movie. Like this movie shot was, to film too. You know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah, people don't, yeah. They, they've lost like a, I think the appreciation for that mm-hmm. uh, o- o- over time, but still like that's, that's very difficult to do. Yeah. So like as Mickey and Mallory are on the run, they, they meet this uh, native person who helps them out and bad things happen to him. And then they get bit by rattlesnakes and the, 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 it becomes even more surreal. And there's this green lighting everywhere because so show that they're sick. And it's just, it, the movie gets even darker, I think, at that point. And it's so good, but it, it is that, that is part of when the film, I think, I think the opening, the opening massacre is funny, in my opinion. Like, because <laughs> it's just so crazy. Like, there's the point of view shot with the bullet and op music is playing, and just like, also, it has that dope uh, L7 song, Shit List. That and and it's just I just I love how it just treated it with humor and like yeah. nobody got it. Everyone yeah. was offended. There wasn't. I don't think that movie had very many fans even <laughs> when it came out. Or like I'm just glad we're talking about it because maybe even a lot of people I I don't think have like you know I, I don't know if that movie survived. Like uh, yeah, and that's kind of what <laughs> I want to talk the, about like in a minute. Yeah. Like you know I I do think it's a great film of its time. But it's very much of its time. It it did have fans when it came out. It it got very divisive reviews. People, yeah. no one thought it was okay. <laughs> I like stuff like that. Yeah. I like things that like people hate, you know, and they can't stop talking about how much they hate it. Yeah, you know? <laughs> but like it opened number one when it came out, made eleven million dollars. It beat Forrest Gump in Forrest Gump's eighth week. Um, wow! But second week. Forrest Gump was number one again, <laughs> and Nats of One Killers went back down. It was only in the top 10 for about six weeks. It made about $50 million on a $30 million budget, so it made money, but not a lot. It, yeah, not a lot. It's, for that kind of movie, it did okay, and but it did kind of vanish, I think, afterwards because just the world changed so much almost immediately after that movie came out. Absolutely. And in some ways, you listen to Oliver Stone because that that movie came out right during the OJ trial, you know, or right after. And so he's like the reality. It came out right right, right before the trial, during the trial, and he's like reality caught the reality caught up to my movie, 
He's like, when I was making the movie, it was a satire, not a documentary. Yeah, totally. I mean, that happened to anybody in the entertainment industry, mm-hmm. like, you know, um, all the shock rockers and yeah. um, things like that. It's just there's uh, all you have to do is look outside. Yeah, man. <laughs> these days, if you want to be horrified. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just go on YouTube. Yeah. Go to uh, Rotten Doctor. Maybe not in Japan. I don't know. But what, <laughs> in no, America, Jap- it's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> J- J- Japan, Japan has different problems. It's a safer country, for sure. But yeah, yeah. It, it does, you know, I think if you want to be horrified in Japan, look at how anyone here treats women. <sighs> that uh, yeah I, yes. I can attest to that yeah yeah not so. that i did that no 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 i didn't do that <laughs> but uh, yeah i can i've definitely seen the the cultural differences for sure yeah yeah well the fact that i can't get married here but hey that's a whole other topic the movie came out and did good but kind of vanished because right afterwards the internet happened and big time that's that's what right. i think is interesting about when, you, when when i say that they couldn't make this movie today i don't mean about you know quote unquote cancel culture or that bullshit or it's too controversial or too violent or too dark. It's just the culture's totally different. Like a hundred percent different. Like and just with the I mean it's it it could be construed as glorifying gun mm-hmm. violence or whatever when at the t- I don't think it was at all. Even when it came out, you know, people were kind of like talking about that, like glorifying violence. But um if, if anything, I think it was just trying to hold up the mirror well, so when that it, we could all like, look at what we were doing to ourselves, you know? When it came out, I think a lot of, there were, there were a lot of people accused it of, of, of copycat, copycat crimes. There were yeah. a lot of people who said, oh, this happened because of natural-born killers, uh, including Columbine. Like, they'll say that about anything. They'll say it about anything. Like, you know, yeah. And, you know, like... The Columbine, those 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 idiots, they they would use the phrase NBK, a natural born killer, to talk about what they want to do. But that doesn't mean they were gonna do it. They weren't gonna do it without natural born killers. Like yeah. they just used that to as a kind of like a, a rapper for what they were doing. Uh-huh. You know, they were still gonna kill those people in school. They just weren't gonna call it NB, NBK Day. You know, it's just but there's all kinds of stuff like that. There was that jag off. You know who Jack Thompson is? Uh, not off the top of my head. He's who a lo- he's the lawyer who sued Grand Theft Auto. Oh God! And like he's been disbarred. He was also the. You know what though? Yeah. Like I've I've definitely played my fair share of Grand Theft Auto, and I <laughs> I've definitely been sitting in traffic, just like thinking to myself silently, like I could just like. <laughs> yeah, you know, all I, this shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but Jack Thompson, he was the same guy that went after Two Life Crew back in the eighties. Oh, okay, okay, that's enough said. Yeah, yeah. that he's a jag off, but he, um, but yeah, like, like he, he, he went after this, you know, and like John Grisham attacked this movie because what? Yeah, well, somebody who was shot. So this man was Cause shot because it, it robbed him from the box office that week or something <laughs> no it's a little bit darker than that actually um one of his friends was killed by somebody who says and there was a, they, somebody tried to make a link between that murder and natural born killers oh geez and so john grisham even he wrote an article in oxford american saying that this is not these people should not be protected by the first amendment like he went pretty hardcore against freedom of speech because of natural born killers. <laughs> wow. Not hardcore enough not to have, you know, Time Billy Jones and the client, 
but so I'm gonna say, you know, <laughs> yeah, like it's it's a weird, weird thing. But like, I I would I do wonder, like, how would you if you wanted to make a movie about Mickey and Mallory, the killers, like, what would in 2021, what would it be like? Yeah, I don't even know. Everyone would have masks. Number one, uh, <laughs> harder to find them. I keep I keep waiting for that uh, that trope to hit um, film and things like that. It yeah. hasn't yet. That's okay. But um, God, dude, I don't know, man. Like it, it you, you you couldn't. It would be um, it would be like a a TikTok account that people would follow, and it would turn into like a, a media circus. Yeah. over that, it wouldn't be a movie. You know what I mean? It, it would be um, number one, it would be real. Um, no, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's a instead of point, like a fictional a thing, you know what yeah. I mean? And, and, and so it's cause like this whole, um, social media age, just it, it's, um, the, the age of yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that it would be much, instead of making fun of reality, it, it would be reality. Yeah. There hasn't been, there have been some like super dark things happening on social media, but never, never this. Cause I think, you know, they would have to be able to create new accounts that people could follow quickly, you know, and I think yeah. I think that would be hard. But I could totally see a terrible movie about serial killers or mass murderers that have a following on Instagram or yeah. TikTok or their own or their own Twitch channel. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're 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 killing someone in a restaurant follow me on twitch bang you know wasn't like, that a and didn't they make a documentary about some guy that was like torturing animals and then he like oh that dude. It up to to, to nope. actually killing people and then internet sleuths like that fucking is, busted him that is you know that's a fantastic another fantastic point that is probably the closest thing to this actually happening yeah where was that that guy who who killed cats on 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 YouTube? But it was st- wasn't it called like "Don't fuck with cats" Don't fuck or something cats. like Don't it, fuck with cats. Yeah, 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 that one. But yeah. he was that guy who he did. I don't even want to get into what he did to that person because my horrible. God. But then he put it online, and people were sharing it online. And like, I went. I was in college in the late nineties, so that was a golden time to be in college and have the internet because you have the only high speed internet in the world. Because colleges yeah. had, uh-huh. and I saw all kinds of messed up shit I shouldn't have seen on the internet. You know, I saw. I don't want it. My mom listens to this podcast. I don't want to get into it, but <laughs> <just> dark, <laughs> you know, gross porn and like gore photos, like faces, faces of death type stuff. You know, yeah, yeah, all that stuff, yeah, all that yeah. stuff. And and you go through your phase when you're like an edge lord, a shithead edge lord teenager when you see that. And but if 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 somebody's still seeking that stuff out. When they're over the age of twenty, like call a doctor. That's not a good. Yeah, right. That's that's scary. But I could totally see a movie like Mickey and Mallory. You know, hashtag and selfies with dead bodies, and like it would be it'd be a bad movie. Yep. <laughs> I think I think yep. it would be really bad movie. Yes, it wouldn't have this great soundtrack. For sure, the, the soundtrack. It would, be, uh, it would have Trent Reznor on it, but he he'd do the whole score and he'd win a Grammy. And uh, that's a good yeah. point. Yeah. yeah, I love the soundtrack of this movie. Uh, I used I used to own it on CD. It was, it was I I probably used to mow the lawn listening to it because it has what it has. It has um burn by Nine Snails. Yeah, which and uh, like I said, that that Leonard Cohen song, "The Future," is one of his darkest songs. It's just great. Yeah, um, I, I'm off the top of my head, I can't remember any. I think Helmet was on there. It it was just a great like '90s mixtape. Yeah, it has it has Lard, 
Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, I fucking love lard. <laughs> For those I, out there that don't know, it's Jello Biafra and Al Jurgensen doing a, a collab. It just yeah, amazing band. Yeah. It has um, Cowboy Junkies covering Sweet Jane. It has some Peter Gabriel. I love Peter Gabriel. It has um, Patti Smith with a great song whose who, who name I won't say. Um Good song. Yeah, good Inflammatory song. title. Yes, yeah, yes. For sure. And it has uh, L7's shit list. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. I love L7, and I love shit list. And Juliet Lewis just murdering people to L7 is like some dope feminist shit, for sure. <laughs> yeah. The movie does have a feminist bent, I think. Totally. Yeah. With her character, you know, mm-hmm. overcoming abuse to become a serial killer, but still. You know, the old anti-hero. You know, <laughs> the yeah. old anti-hero, and other other good songs that are on the sound that aren't on the soundtrack, but are in the movie. Like it has "Bomb Track" by Rage, and dang, it's in the movie but not on the soundtrack. Probably licensing stuff, I would imagine. Damn, yeah, yeah, um, and like "Leader of the Pack" by the Shangolas, <laughs> like all this other like. Um, it was all on there. Oh, yeah, that would have been, been even better. Yeah, but I think a lot of that's licensing and stuff like that. You know how that is. But yeah, it is a it is a good mixtape, I guess. It was released on vinyl again for Record Store Day recently. And I think... Oh, shit. <laughs> I might have to go spend some money, y'all. <laughs> oh, man, just get, the C- just get the CD. Record Store Day stuff sometimes can... I know you guys have done Record Store Day stuff. Uh Getting that stuff can we be... Ha- we have to. It's it's, it's kind of like a built-in thing. You yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I have your Record Store Day stuff. Um, but... Yeah. Record, records, not to go off on a different topic, Record Store Day is much easier in Tokyo because it's the biggest city in the world. So, with 8 million record stores. So, I never have a problem getting anything I want <laughs> on That's Record really Store That's really cool. Day. I, can go to, I can go to Tower Records here still because we, we still have Tower Records. Um, What's the, uh, the big one in Shibuya Square? Is it Tower? Is that well, still there was Tower's the big chain store in Shibuya. There was Recofan. Recofan was the used store. It unfortunately closed last year, oh, and I was very sad. Uh, before before it closed, I went down there and I splurged. I bought, God, I think forty Madonna singles on CD. Um, yes, because gay and I um, love Madonna. Oh, dude, I'm not gay. And I love Madonna. <laughs> I'm glad that. I'm glad this straight straight up present. Good job. Uh, but and I bought a bunch of Prague and a bunch of like all kinds of weird shit. That I miss I miss Record Fan, man. That 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 one cut deep. But anyway, we're going a little bit off topic. Um let me see. You know, about the movie, I think we I think we kind of covered most of it. Was there any is there anything else like about this movie that you want to talk about that you think is interesting or want to bring Not up? Or? Really, I just I I just um I miss movies like that. They just—they don't. I hate saying they don't make them like they used to. Well, you know fine. what I Go mean? Ahead. But it's just—I—I I haven't seen anything come out that really gripped me mm-hmm. in like a really long time. Yeah, you know. Um, I, I'm. It's. I mean, I re- I enjoy because I just kind of watch movies at home these days. Like oh, all yeah. the, anything that like goes to cinema like that. Like it's just. I feel like most of the movies that come out are, are really safe. You know, and yeah. I just haven't yeah. seen anything that really pushed the envelope like yeah. in theaters in a really long time. Yeah, I mean, I think this movie is kind of, it is, like, when I first made this podcast, like I said, the, the idea was the type of movies they don't make anymore, and it's not just because the culture's changed and you couldn't make this movie satire anymore. Movies like this do not get released in theaters anymore. 
It's too experimental. It's too, for lack of a better term, edgy. <laughs> it's too yeah. no, no, it, it, yeah, yeah, it was. And it's it's too much of a satire that is not a comedy that I think doesn't play. Like when this movie came out, most American critics didn't understand it was a satire. Like uh-huh. a lot of people saw it as just a violent movie, you know, and oh no, it's Quentin Tarantino again, you know? And I think that those kind of topics, especially these days, you know, people don't want to see that in their movies. They, yeah. They want to get a You're Marvel right. movie, you know? Um, and those are fine, you know, I, 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 or Fast and Furious. I like Fast and Furious. I watched... I watched the new King Kong Godzilla movie and I loved it. I I I, I got Missed that one. I, I I did see Mortal Kombat though. I enjoyed that. <laughs> I did not, but that's a, man. The editing and anyway, sorry, go off on a different topic. But like I I I respect and I like big fun blockbusters. You know, like big Me too. mainstream fun PG thirteen blockbusters. But I, I wish there was still a market for this kind of not huge but not small budget kind of commentary on society and i feel like that's kind of gone away you you know like the wolf of wall street came out but i mean you know things like that but it's just i don't know i feel like it's too even that was too safe for yeah you know if if we're talking about natural born killers (laughs) yeah i feel like with with the way that the public understanding of the police has changed in the it since since black lives matter which is a very different topic than topics in this film obviously but i mean even having a movie where the characters kill the cops so gleefully pissed people off back then. Nowadays, it did. Yeah. I don't think it would be as controversial. And again, it's a very... I'm not comparing Mickey and Maui to Black Lives Matter. Don't worry. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying that the something like Black Lives Matter, something like other issues in society, I think could be a movies like this, more experimental using editing and mixed media and symbolism and satire could you could use those topics and tell really good stories that way and i i wish more filmmakers took those chances i mean god oliver stone certainly hasn't if you look at his career since this movie like yeah that's true he he's made like what there was um he learned his lesson (laughs) well he made after this he made nixon and nixon was kind of did some of this oh god that's right yeah but like, if you look at his movies, this like he made Snowden, like, yeah, which I guess was pretty straightforward. He made that Wall Street sequel, which oh, I didn't know that. Nobody wanted that, and he made that World Trade Center movie, and like, who I don't want to see that as a movie, especially by him. That Alexander movie, uh, that was. That was him? That was him. Oh, Lord. Apparently, the director's cut is much better. Um, Because that was edited like 18 different ways. But I don't, I don't, like, like, I would love to see Oliver Stone. I mean, again, Oliver Stone, not the greatest guy. Like, yes. I would love to see someone like Oliver Stone who's brave enough to take these crazy topics and turn it into a crazy movie. Yeah. I mean, Drive was cool. I'm trying to think about something like really violent, but also like really touching. But I mean, it wasn't as inflammatory, I guess. As... Well, Drive's an awesome movie, and I love Drive, but it's not a commentary. No, 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 you're right. no. It's not a social movie. Like, 
those type of movies they get made still, but they don't do that well because I think maybe or maybe yeah. and maybe that's why they don't get made as much because people don't want to see it. That's true. Maybe we're the minority here, man. I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> we are not the minority. <laughs> no, I mean maybe we maybe what we want is a minority opinion. Like you yeah, know, totally. I'm just we, I'm just playing. Why? Why we we don't we want to see these serious movies or these serious topics told in interesting ways, but Hollywood won't take those chances. So they won't. That means we don't get to see. They're not going to take any chances these days. Not on anything. It's it's impossible to push a new intellectual property through. Like nobody wants to invest in that. Well, what really crazy thing even about this movie was this is a Warner Brothers movie, you know, but when it came out on video, they didn't release it. Um, the director's cut. Trimark a small. They let a smaller wow, really? studio release it on home video. The, on the, the director's cut on VHS, Trimark released it because they were too scared to release that on video. And wow. the director's cut is not that different than the released version. The story is exactly the same. It's one of those. It's not like The Abyss, where the director's cut is half an hour yeah. longer and has a whole other subplot. It's just it's a it's a movie where the director's cut is just trimming out really small things to make it less bloody like the director's cut does the theatrical cut does not have Tommy Lee Jones's decapitated head for example (laughs) which and that wasn't even a long scene it was just like yeah like like 10 seconds tops yeah 10 seconds tops and I I love that 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 shot is so stupid because like how did they decapitate his head so quickly You know, and also like I, I don't know. I don't want to. I've never been to hardcore prison, but I was just like, I don't know if they're gonna let a riot get that out of control that fast. You know, I don't know. Well, that was filmed in a real prison too. I know. <laughs> I can't, I can't believe they they that's a that was that's that's irresponsible. But yeah, I you know, yeah, we're going off topic again. But I I think I guess we'll wrap it up here. Not much else to say about it. I I recommend people still check this movie out. I think. While great film, while the while the satire might not hit as much directly as it did back then, because cultures changed so much. Think in your head when you're watching while you're watching it, man. If this was made today, they'd be with the Cardassians or you know That's some right. other shit. You know, and like we didn't really touch really really quick. I want to bring up also like when you because you're a metalhead, obviously. Um, did you when you were a dumb teenager? Did you ever like get obsessed with like serial kills at all, like um, Man- Manson t shirts and shit? Not not specifically serial yeah. killers. I, I I was a big horror fan, okay. so I, anything like that. I, I was a huge Stephen King, Clive Barker kind of okay. fan. Okay, you know, I read. I was very into the um, the macabre. Okay, yeah, because that is like in the movie they have a you know the 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 Mickey and Molly groupies you know in the movie. Yeah, and totally. That's a thing. Like. Oh, absolutely! Manson had everybody had him. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Any any major, yeah, uh, controversial figure like that. There's just people gravitate toward that. It's, yeah. it's fucking crazy. It's man. gross, but yeah. Anyway, I guess we'll wrap up uh, again. Kyle, thanks for coming in to talk about this great, great movie. Um, it was nice to have you here after some. Absolutely, thank you for having me, man. I really snafus. appreciate it. Yeah, I really, really appreciate it. You coming in, and uh, everyone should check out your Bandcamp. I think it's great. Um. That album you released. When, when, did the, when did your album come out? Uh, I think it came out late 2018. Yeah, and then uh, just just in time for uh, the, the the storm that was 2019 and the pandemic and uh, <laughs> everything. So, but uh, but yeah, my Bandcamp page. I just drop free cover songs all the time. Go there, uh, download anything you want. It's a it's fair game. I just have I have I have a good time there. And yeah, um, yeah, I have. Yeah, I've always got something cooking up. I haven't listened to your um, Credence cover yet, so I'll have to do that. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. 
do it's a treat that that one was really fun that yeah. was a, i do a lot of requests but that one uh, was one of my personal uh picks so that i had a good time doing that yeah one. and you get good rush cover killing joke Thanks, man yeah i appreciate yeah, that good stuff yes I think the only one i haven't listened to really is the, is the christmas one because it's not time for that so maybe later <laughs> i missed <laughs> it's it a little sad too anyway, yeah a little, little sad You're too fine. but yeah check that out and also of course the sword you know check that out um yeah we'll be we're, we're back baby we're uh we're good. hitting the road in september so um uh, fingers crossed awesome Primus awesome yeah Mother, uh, going going all over the place. yeah i you got i missed when it first came out was it high country and low country because right when those uh-huh. came out i moved to japan so i kind of was busy um yeah. <laughs> but I, I recently got back into your guys stuff and i bought that box set and um the cd version and yeah man i love i love metal about like swords in space and shit so like always fall back on you guys when i want that kind of stuff you know oh yeah so it's i appreciate that and and also your stuff too like i love i love the lyrics on your album it's about like you know smoking weed and being bored like really it's it's way more personal than the sword if you like the sword and you want to check out my solo stuff it does not sound anything like the sword but it uh it's very fun rock and roll no but it is great it's a great record i recommend it and anyway you can you can find me on twitter at lost turntable and on um, my website losttable.com. That's been another episode of Cinema Oblivio. Hope to see you all again soon next week for another good one. Take care. Bye.